Well, thank you. Good morning. Appreciate you being in the services on Sunday morning where God's people are to be. Amen. And uh, thank you for being here. Lisa and I have certainly enjoyed uh, the short time we've been here. We drove up again yesterday morning and got here a little after three. And we'll leave right out uh, this afternoon to head back. Uh, she works, I preach. So, you know, somebody has to work. You know, understand that? Uh, but she has a responsibility Monday morning early in the school she teaches at. So uh, we'll be leaving right out. But it, it's been good to be here. It's, again, good to uh, be with Brother Rodney and uh, his precious family. Last time I preached for him was in a Husky, North yeah. Carolina. Riley, you were about, you know, an Allison. And, of course, I know you are faithful here and plugged in here, and thank you for that. And Allison teaching at Cramerton Christian Academy, where I spent seven years uh, ministering as an associate and then moved to that little town, Chocowinity. It's an Indian name, means fishes from many waters. And uh, God was able to keep us there 32 years and certainly loved the ministry there. And good to see Brandon again. Now, uh, he is a product of door knocking That's right. uh, by Lisa. Um, Lisa's first husband passed away in 2017. He was a pastor, bivocational pastor, mm -hmm. and uh, they were faithful in going around and knocking on doors and inviting people to come to church. That's right. And when you do that, you never know how God's going to work. That's right. yes. But that's how he worked right there. Amen. He's a product of people faithfully going out and inviting other people to come in. And that's not a foreign thing. or not be a foreign thing that's these right. days, you know. That's right. We still need to be inviting people to come in. So it, we pick at him and... Uh, Hallelujah. That's right. That's right. I appreciate you. Amen. Appreciate your faithfulness. That's right. Yes, sir. Staying at it, you know. Leaving home that's right. and coming to where God has placed him. And God still needs young people to do that. That's right. You know? Amen. Uh, it, it's a sacrifice uh, to leave family. But you know, uh, Jesus said, you're my brother and my sister. Mm. You're my family. That's it. And it's great to have a church family, a spiritual family as well. So uh, we, we've thoroughly <clears throat> enjoyed our time here. Well, the book of Matthew chapter 11, if you will turn there with me, please. Matthew chapter 11. And again tonight, this is the passage we'll be in. Uh, I'll have two or three other verses put up on the screen. You'll not have to turn there, but they'll be available on the screen for you to look at. But I want you to plant your attention here in Matthew chapter 11. <clears throat> And I want you to look with me beginning in verse 28. And if you would again, as we give reverence to God's Word, please stand one more time and look with me at these verses. Matthew chapter 11 <clears throat> and beginning in verse 28. Matthew 11 and verse 28. Probably familiar passage to, uh, to many of you. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And you may be seated. 
Now that passage that we've read here this morning to many people is one of the most beloved passages of the New Testament. It's a passage that many Christians claim and lean on in order to find uh, the comfort that they need in those times of trials and difficulties. When life knocks you down. Anybody ever been knocked down? And the stresses and the pressure seems to just overcome you. How comforting it is to hear these words of Jesus when He says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'm, I'm glad we have a Jesus that cares about us. Amen. Glad we have a Jesus who we can find comfort and encouragement in. Mm-hmm. I'm glad in those times of life disappointments and distresses and difficulties and demands that we have a Savior that we can turn to and come to who can comfort us and compose us and bring rest to our souls. But I have to be honest with you this morning and honest with this passage of Scripture because in reality this passage has nothing to do with the demands and the disappointments and the difficulties that come upon us in this life, nor with the comfort and the encouragement that our Lord can bring to us. Now, I know that He can in those times. Amen? Amen. I'm sure you have experienced that, and I have experienced that as well. But these verses do not talk about the comfort of Christ in life's demands. But these verses are about the call of Christ to a life of discipleship. These verses don't deal with the problems of life, but God's program for your life. It's not about our problems, but it's about His plan. You see, His call that He places on all of us is seen in this passage with three verbs. Come unto me. Take my yoke. Learn of me. And those three verbs right there makes up Christ's call to discipleship. Now it's interesting when you study the life of Christ and His ministry in the New Testament among the people as He's teaching them and healing them and performing those miracles, people swarm to Him. But do you know that Jesus wanted more than people to hear Him teach and to be healed and to be amazed at His miracles? He wanted them to become His disciples. So many times in Jesus' teaching, He would say, follow me. And that was a call to discipleship, to come to Him, to take His yoke, and to learn of Him. But do you know in the Scriptures, the majority of people wanted His miracles and His healing and His teaching, but they did not want to be a disciple. As a matter of fact, one time when Jesus taught, many turned and walked away from Him. And I have found today that there's a lot of people, oh, they like to hear good teaching. 
And oh, they want to pray for God's healing. And they want to see miracles. But they really don't want to follow Him. And so this morning, I want us to look at this passage and I want us to see Christ's call to discipleship. And I want you as I'm preaching to ask yourself the question, have I answered that call? First of all, look with me again at verse 28. And I want you to notice that the call to discipleship involves coming to Christ for salvation. Look at verse 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now that is actually Christ's call for us to come to Him for salvation. If you study that word come in the Bible, you see that so many times it is associated with that invitation for us to come to be saved. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red as crimson, they shall be as wool. Aren't you glad we serve a God that can clean us up and make our lives pure as clean as the snow? Come unto me. John chapter 6 verse 35. I am the bread of life. He that cometh unto me shall never hunger. Revelation 22, verse 17, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and whosoever will, let him come and take the water of life freely. Aren't you glad Jesus said, Whosoever will. He could have said the rich. He could have said the good. He could have said the popular. He could have said whatever. But He said, Whosoever will. That means anybody. Doesn't matter who you are. Jesus said, you come to me and I'll give you you the salvation that you need. Now I want you to notice again that verse. Because as Jesus gives this invitation, there are two groups of people that he is inviting to come to him. Look again at verse 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor. And all ye that are heavy laden. Now I believe that describes two groups of people that was in that crowd that day that Jesus was inviting to come to Him. I believe first of all the crowd Jesus was addressing involved outwardly religious people who had become burdened down and weighted down with their own efforts of trying to keep the Mosaic law and the Traditions of the Pharisees. And they were doing all that in hopes that in some way they would gain God's favor, obtain some type of righteousness so that they would appear good in the eyes of God and eventually God would accept them into His heaven. John MacArthur says that this is the person who is wearied from his vain search for truth through human wisdom, who is exhausted from trying to earn salvation and who has despaired of achieving God's standard of righteousness by his own efforts. And do you know today that even today, people try in their own effort to gain salvation. But there's another group that he's speaking to here. And it's those that are burdened down and consumed by their own sinful ways and conduct. 
You see, sin has now taken a toll in their life. And that sin that at one time brought pleasure to them is now their master and they're enslaved to it. James Montgomery Braun states that the heavy laden here refers not to the physically weakness or what we might call the burdens of the difficulties of life. It chiefly refers to a sense of sin's burdens. Now this morning, it's to the very same people and groups that Jesus extends His invitation of coming to Him for salvation. It's possible in this building right here this morning, in this congregation, that there is somebody who is trying to keep a list of do's and don'ts. You're trying to obtain salvation in some way in your own means and your own efforts. And Jesus lets us know what that will lead to. He says it will lead to you growing weary. He uses that word labor. That word labor there means to grow weary, to be tired, to labor to the point of exhaustion and frustration. It's a word that describes a person's fruitless efforts to obtain salvation. And hear me this morning, you may keep every law that God has ever written. You may keep all your list of do's and don'ts and your rules and your regulations, but it will never gain you eternal life to allow you to enter into God's heaven. You You will always feel like you've never done enough. And you will always wonder if you have done enough. And you will always be burdened down mentally, have I done enough? And you will lie on your deathbed and wonder, have I been good enough to go to God's heaven? Hear me this morning, nobody is good enough to go to God's heaven. It's not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to God's mercy, He saved us. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And no man is justified by the deeds of the law. So Jesus says this morning, those of you that are trying to obtain it on your own and you are growing so weary of it, you come unto me and I will give you the rest that you need. You see, folks, salvation is not in your performance. It's in a person, Jesus Christ. But there also could be somebody here today that you fall under the second group. You have become laden down with your sins. That word laden means to heap upon, to be burdened down, and to be overwhelmed by. And all through the Bible when you read that word laden, it's associated with sin. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 4, a sinful nation. A people laden down or burdened down, overwhelmed with iniquity. A seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 6 speaks about people who are laden down or burdened or overwhelmed with sin, led away by divers' lust. Hear me this morning. Sin starts off mighty fun and mighty pleasurable. But eventually, there is pleasure in sin only for a season. And that sin eventually will be that sin that will dominate you and utterly destroy you. But here's what Jesus says. Those of you that are trapped in your sins, those of you that are servants to sin, 
Those of you that are held by the cords of your sin. The drunkard that is drowning in alcohol. The, the addict that is enslaved to his drug. The liar that is caught up in his deception. The self-righteous that is seized by their pride. The lustful imprisoned by their immoral living. If you will simply come unto me, I will deliver you, I will save you, and I will give you rest. Folks, look, the first step we have to take to be a true follower of Christ is to come to Him for salvation. Have you done that? Have you answered that call to come to Christ and be saved? Come unto me, Jesus says. And I will give you. I guarantee you tonight, today, if you are trying to work your way to heaven, you don't have rest in your soul today. You don't have rest. Come to Jesus for that rest. But there's a second matter that Jesus addresses in this passage. And I want you to look at it with me here in verse 29. For he says, after you have come to me, and been saved. Now I want you to take, verse 29, take my yoke upon you. Now when you come to Jesus for salvation, Jesus said, now that you're saved, I want you to take my yoke upon you. And the yoke here speaks of submission. I believe Jesus was familiar with yokes. If you remember, Jesus' father was a carpenter. And no doubt, I think that Jesus saw his dad construct and build yokes. Jesus himself could have built a yoke. Now, you do know what a yoke is, do you not? How many of you know what a yoke is? Let's see your hand, okay? Most of the older folks know. Maybe some of the younger folks do. But basically, a yoke is a wording instrument instrument that's placed over the neck of two animals, oxen, mules, horses. And it is used to bring those animals together so that they can perform the work of the master that's controlling those reins. That's a yoke. As a matter of fact, the word yoke means serving to couple two things together. Now the yoke that Jesus wants those of us who have come to Him for salvation for to take on ourselves is that yoke of submission. And again, that's what a yoke is all about. A yoke is about that animal being under the control of his master so that that master can use that animal to do his work. Now with that thought in mind, when Jesus says, take my yoke... Here's two things I believe he's saying to us. First of all, I believe he's saying to us, submit to my lordship. You see, a yoke is for the purpose of controlling. It's for that purpose of getting the animal to obey the commands and the ways of that master. Most of the time, the animal's out in the field. He's grazing, he's roaming around, he's doing his own thing. But when that master comes and places that yoke on him, that animal does not do his own thing any longer. That animal is under the control of the master. 
Author Pink says, As the oxen are yoked in order to submit to their owner's will and work under his control, to those who would receive rest of soul from Christ are here called upon to yield to him as their king. And that's what the Lord is saying to those of us who have been saved. It's time for you now to become my follower. Take my yoke upon you. Yield and submit to my will, my word, and my way. Listen, folks, when a person comes to Jesus Christ and becomes saved, they need to stop doing their own thing. They need to stop being the master of their own life. They must now yield to the one who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Here's what Arthur Pink again says. Take my yoke upon you. It's a specific act of mind and act of, sub, of, of conscience. Surrender to his authority. Henceforth to be ruled only by him. Saul of Tarsus took his yoke upon him when he said, Lord, what would thou have me to do? To take Christ's yoke upon us signifies the setting aside of my own will and completely submitting to his sovereignty, the acknowledging of his lordship in a practical way. You and I often pray that prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when you pray that prayer, you're praying more than God's kingdom come and he'll come to this earth and rule and reign. You're really praying also that God would take reins in your heart and His will be done in your life on this earth as it is in heaven. James Willis stated that the greatest tragedy of modern evangelism is many believing but not obeying. And Jesus said, you have come to me for salvation. Now, you must take the yoke. You must submit to my lordship. But I'll tell you something. There's a lot of Christians who don't. Jesus one day said to a group, you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do the things that I command you to do. And I want to ask you this morning, have you taken up the yoke? Are you submitting to Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life where your will has been crucified and you say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done? It involves submitting to the Lordship of Christ. But it also involves submitting to the work of Christ. You see, that's what a yoke involves. Work. An owner don't ever put a yoke on an animal to go out and play with it. A yoke always involves work. Now again, please, please don't misunderstand me. The Bible does not say that you are saved by your works. I quoted a while ago, not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. But the Bible that teaches that you're not saved by your works teaches that if you are saved, you will work. That same verse, or the verse after the verse I just quoted in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk. God has ordained you to live in and to work for Him. 
Matter of fact, I want you to notice this verse on the screen. This is Titus chapter 3 and verse 8. One of the verses I've asked the men to put on the screen. Look what it says. This is a faithful saying. And these things I will that thou affirm constantly. Now watch. Here's Paul telling Timothy, Timothy, this is one thing I want you to continue to confirm, to continue to keep before God's people. And that's your pastor's responsibility. And look what he says I want them to do. That they which believe in God. You believe in God today? You've trusted His Son and His Savior? That they might be careful to maintain... What's the next phrase? Come on, don't be scared of it. Good works. That verse says you are to be careful. It's actually a word that means keep before the mind. To maintain. To make it something that is before you always. That you are wanting to be involved in good works. Now that good works is a general phrase there. could mean many different things. could mean things like being active in a church ministry, singing in the choir, teaching a Sunday school class, attending church, participating in a visitation, helping in a youth or children's department, mowing a senior citizen yard, visiting someone in the hospital, sharing the gospel, praying, reading God's Word, supporting missionaries, giving money to the church, cooking a meal for a bereaved family. Good work can involve all those kind of things and many other things. Matter of fact, Albert Barnes says this, The good works here refers not merely to acts of benevolence and charity, but to all that is upright and good to an honest and holy life. Do you know what this pastor needs to keep before you? And he probably does. And you need to keep in your mind every single day as you live out your life that I have submitted to the Lordship of Christ and I need to be involved in His work I need to be involved in giving my life to service in helping others and helping the church. I need to live a holy life. I need to be generous. I need to be benevolent. Folks, all those kind of things need to be before you every single day of your life because you have submitted and taken up the yoke. I have you though. I'm asking you, ask yourself, have I answered God's call? Maybe you've answered the call to be saved, but have you really as a Christian answered a call to submit to the Lordship of Christ and to submit to the work of Christ? Have you answered the call? And then there's one last verb that we need to look at. Look at it with me again. In this passage, Jesus says, Come unto me, that's for salvation. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Verse 29, Take my yoke upon you. That's submission. But then he adds another phrase. You see what he says? Look what he says. And learn of me. You come for salvation. You submit, take my yoke, that's submission. And you learn of me, that's being a student. You see, a disciple is a learner. As a matter of fact, the verb form of this word, learn of me, is that word 
disciple. You cannot be a disciple of Christ if you are not learning about Christ. That's right. You see, a disciple is simply this. It's a person that comes to a teacher and they submit themselves to this teacher's ways to learn of him and to learn about him so that they can emulate that teacher and take those teachings that they've learned and teach other people. That's what a disciple is. So Jesus says, once you have come to me for salvation and you have submitted to my lordship and my work, I need you, I want you, I instruct you to be my student. Learn of me. And that will involve three things, and let me just touch on them quickly. The first thing that will involve is you investing your time to learn about Jesus. Yes. Most important thing you have is time. And if you're going to learn about Him, you must learn to invest your time. Being taught about Him. Investing this Word in you. Getting that Word of God in you. Yes. Hear me today. You cannot be a disciple of Jesus Christ and not be involved in that Word right there. You must be a learner of this Word. That probably involves personal Bible study church services, reading the scriptures, meditating on truth, being involved in a men's group or a woman's group, a discipleship group, studying the scriptures, memorizing the scriptures. Look, the Bible says, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of God's word that you may grow thereby. One of the greatest challenges I face in my life and you'll face every day in your life is giving time every day to Jesus Christ to be in his word. You'll be challenging that. You'll be so busy. You'll be kind of like Martha. Luke chapter 10. Jesus is visiting the house of Martha and Mary. And the Bible says that Martha was cumbered about with much serving. She was the lady in the house trying to get the meal ready, setting the table, making sure the floor is vacuumed, everything's arranged good, fresh flowers are on the table. I mean, she's doing all that work. And finally she gets frustrated because her sister Mary is not in the kitchen helping her get the stuff ready to eat. And so she goes to Jesus, and this is what she says to Jesus. Jesus, would you please tell Mary to get in here and help me? And this is what Jesus says to Martha. Martha, Martha. You are careful, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But this one thing is needful and Mary has chosen that. Yes. Now does anybody know where Mary was? <clears throat> you know where she was? She was at the feet of Jesus. Yes. Hearing His instructions, hearing His teachings. And here's Martha in there, busy, doing everything that she can, getting it ready. Oh, she's serving. Oh, she's fixing a good meal. She's getting it all ready for Jesus. Listen to me. Your relationship with Jesus Christ in spending time along with Him in His Word, being taught by Him, being instructed by Him, is more important than your service. Now, you need to be serving. 
But if you're serving and you're not getting ingested with God's Word, you can't dispense that to somebody else. You have got to make time to be in God's Word. Jesus said, learn of me. And could I just interject this quickly? And it's something that struck me the first of the year and God convicted me about it. Many of you that have been in church for many years, guard yourself because it's easy when somebody gets up to preach or you open a passage to read that morning and you know already what it says to just pass it off and not really let it speak to your heart. Writer I read said we have become intellectually proud and mentally lazy. And that was me. I've been in ministry for 45 years. Went to a Christian college. Preached four times every week for 32 years. And now I sit in a church on Sundays that I'm not preaching and I hear a pastor get up and say, turn to the passage. I already know what that passage says. I could probably give you outlines I've got in my office with it. And I find myself, if I'm not careful, listening but not really saying, Lord, teach me. Help me to understand more and more. Being a student is being a learner, getting God's Word in you. But quickly and secondly, you don't learn just to learn. You see, you learn for truth and application. You don't learn for education, you learn for application. When I was in high school, I hated math, had to take geometry, algebra one, algebra two, and it, it was the worst subject I took. And the reason it was, I said, I'm never going to use this stuff. What good is it ever going to do me? Don't you ever approach God's Word like that. Yeah. Yeah. Don't ever do that. You come every Sunday to the service. You come every Bible study. Every time you open your Bible, Lord, open my eyes that I might behold marvelous things out of your law. Lord, teach me. I'm hungry. I want to know the truth. You must learn not for education, but for application. And folks, look, that's where the blessing is. The blessing is not in the hearing. The blessing is in the doing. James 1 and 22 be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. But do you know there's another part of that verse? We don't often say it, but there's another part of that verse. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own self. And there's two meanings to that. Some say it different meanings. It's one or the other. One is that if you just hear the word and don't do it, don't deceive yourself and think you're God's child. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and follow me. But other commentators say, no, it's not that. It means you are cheating yourself. Because the blessing is not in the hearing. The blessing is in the doing. And that's what James 1.25 says. And it's on the screen. Look at what James 1.25 says. But whosoever looketh in the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of his work, this man shall be what? 
blessed in his deeds or blessed in his doing. There's Christians today, I believe, saying, boy, God don't bless me. Boy, I just can't believe Christian life don't work for me. You're not doing the word. You're not living the word. Because the blessing comes in the doing. You see, when Jesus said, follow me, it was an invitation to salvation, but an invitation also to participation. To participate in His work and the truths that He taught. Yes. Now one last thing involved in this learning of Him. Learning it, living it, and thirdly, as you are, you will be changed. Do you know what changes your life? It's that book right there. Yes, sir. <clears throat> Do you know what can change your habits? Do you know what can change your temper? Do you know what can change your impatience? Do you know what can change your lustful mind? That book right there. Look at this verse, and this is the verse I'm closing with. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. Look at it carefully. But we all, with open face, and look at that next word, beholding as in a glass. And that word beholding is a word that means examining. It's the idea of digging in and mining out those golden nuggets. As we are doing that in a glass. And the word glass there is the idea of a mirror. The Bible is often referred to a mirror because you can look in it and see really who you are. But it's in that mirror that reflects the glory of the Lord. Where do we know about God and who He is and all His glory? It's through His book right there. But it says, as we are beholding all those glories, we are, what's the word? Say it with me. We're what? Change. Is there anything in your spiritual life right now you wish were changed, which were different? Well, I'll tell you something. That's how you get changed through that book right there. It is the word metamorpho. We get our word metamorphosis from that word. And metamorphosis is that process that a, that a caterpillar goes through. That ugly caterpillar that spins that cocoon. And over a period of time, he's in that cocoon. But after a while, you know what happened? Well, he begins wiggling. And pretty soon he breaks out of that cocoon. And he comes out not as a caterpillar, but he comes out as what? Come on, what's it come out as? You say a jerk, that's what you look like. <laughs> a beautiful butterfly. Completely transformed. He doesn't even have the same nature. He's completely different. And hear me, that caterpillar was not born to be a caterpillar. That caterpillar was born to be a butterfly. And hear me, listen. What were you born again for? Not to be who you are right now. But watch the verse that we might be changed into the same image from glory unto glory. And whose image is that? Your preacher's? No. It is our Lord. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. God wants to change you. But hear me now, hear me. He cannot change you if the Word is not in you. Because look who does the changing. 
by the Spirit of the Lord. In reality, the change that comes about in your life doesn't come from you. It comes from the Spirit of God working in you. But hear me, the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to change you. And if He ain't got the Word of God change you, He can't change you. Come unto me for salvation. Take my yoke upon you. Submit to my will and my work. Learn of me. Be my student. And I close with this. Jesus left the promise. If you do that, yes, sir. Yes, sir. you will find rest for your soul. The word find is the word eureka. You ever heard that word? We don't often use it. But it's the word Eureka, I have found it. And that word speaks of a joyful acclamation of a great treasure that has been discovered. And what is that treasure? Rest for your soul. Brother Rodney, a lot of Christians have noisy souls. Troubled and un but I got saved. Yeah, you got saved. But you haven't taken the yoke and you're not being a learner of Jesus Christ and that word being put in you. And he says those who come and take and learn, they will find the rest for their soul. Have you answered the call to discipleship? You know what? Jesus never called us to be believers. He called us to believe on Him. But He called us to be disciples. The word Christian is used two times, maybe I think two times in the Bible. Disciple is used over and over and over and over and over. Oh, I'm a Christian. I want to know if you're a Christian. I want to know if you're a disciple. If you are a true follower of Jesus Christ. Have you answered the call?